All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 33rd year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. Well, as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 1,345 points, or 4.1%. The S&P 500 last week was up about 222 points, or 5.9%. And the NASDAQ last week was up 848 points, or 8.1%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 7.1%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is down 16.2%, and the NASDAQ year-to-date is down 27.6%. Well, it was just another calm, run-of-the-mill, regular week on Wall Street this past week, wasn't it, gentlemen? Yeah, Yeah, nothing really to talk about here. CPI, midterms, (laughs) nothing going on here, nothing to see here. Oh, nothing to see here. Very quiet news week, very quiet news week. Very quiet. Yeah, just, Where do we start? Where do we start? I guess what they say, when you eat an elephant, you have to do it at one bite at a time with all the information from this past week that we have to get through and digest on this weekend show. That wasn't well, a play on midterms, why, was it? Well, why don't, actually, why don't we start with what was not important this week, and that was the midterms. The markets had zero reaction because it doesn't look like much has changed. Uh much to the disappointment of the Republicans, present company included. I know we've still got more votes to count, and the final decision is it, has, it hasn't been made in terms of the Senate control or House control, but it certainly didn't look like a red wave to me. I think Kyle described it accurately as more like a red drip. Red uh, trickle. Red trickle. Uh, but the markets – there wasn't a whole lot of reaction to it, and no one is talking about the election results now after what happened on Thursday. Well, uh, well it's going to take us three weeks to figure out Nevada and Arizona. My goodness, I think they were able to count the entire nation's votes when Abraham Lincoln was, was going to be president much faster. I mean, well, yeah. is this the day and age of technology? I mean, what are we doing here? This is insane. 
Well, then you have Pennsylvania with a runoff. I mean, it, it's honestly so, – Georgia, Georgia. Georgia, I'm sorry. It, it, I, I have a anyway, – it's, it's amazing Georgia. because they cannot get the polling and the voting counts right. You know, it's it's befuddles me that in some situations, states like Texas, states like Florida, even California, that have huge populations can get their, their, their voting done properly, and these other states cannot, but – uh, in the same day, in the same day, yeah. so we don't have to wait a month or weeks to figure out the balance of power. But it still looks like that the Republicans are going to take control of the House, which I think was a foregone conclusion. Right now, it's all really going to come down to the runoff in Georgia between Wash, uh, Herschel Walker and Warnock. Uh, now, typically in runoffs, it does favor the GOP, uh, so we'll see if we wind up getting that 51st uh, senator and actually have both control or control of both houses. But at the end of the day, it's going to be gridlock in Washington. But historically for the stock market, gridlock in Washington is good. So that's not a bad thing. Now, an interesting statistic that I did run across this past week is that there, since the 1950s, early 1950s, the market's performance 12 months following a midterm election has been positive 100% of the time with an average return of around 14%. And that's 12 months post a midterm election. So if we were just to follow 100% accuracy of history going back to 1950, you know, bear market notwithstanding, the 12 months from today, we should see positive numbers for the broader stock market. The only caveat I'd like to add to that, if you take a, a little, a much smaller set of uh, results in the last three midterm elections, uh, the markets have not been up that much. They've been up less than half that um, for each but one of those still years. A Some of those numbers, several, still a positive number. Several of those years were, you know, near in and around five percent or less returns. We still have an environment of a Fed that's not on our side. And I didn't even go back and look at those midterms to see if we were in a uh, Fed tightening or Fed loosening environment. I know the last midterm, we had zero interest rates. And the previous midterm to that, we probably had near zero interest rates also. This is a totally different animal that we that we're still in. And so now I guess it's just, let's just get to the real Move the real news for the week, which was the CPI print on on uh, Thursday, and it's amazing how a couple of tenths of percent can turn into the biggest rally in the S and P 500 since April of 2020. Two and a half years. It was really the same for the Nasdaq and the Dow. It was all yeah. going back to 2020. Just post the COVID pullback over, from late over, March. Over a handful of tenths of a percent. If this Traders got to trade. If, Traders got to trade. doesn't reek of a classic uh, bear market rally and a short, a massive short covering rally, I don't know what does. Because well, we uh, still we still have uh, – 7.7% inflation. Okay, peak. the peak's come. I will get on the peak has come wagon. <laughs> what? Finally. Ladies, finally. What? Ladies and gentlemen. Oh, what, am my I, what, what am I, I hearing? Will get, I will get on the peak inflation 
bandwagon has passed. You know, the That's peak inflation has passed. Hell yeah. hath frozen over. <laughs> okay. But okay. at 7.7%, does it seem like we've still got some more work to do? Yes. Yes. I would concur with does that. It, does it seem to me that the Federal Reserve probably has some more interest rate increases coming down the pike? I would say at least a couple more, but they also need to give it some time. And I would say that the 75 basis point increases coming December 14th will not happen. It'll most likely be a much lower level. But I know we got to take a commercial break, so we'll pick up this subject on the other side of the break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments and don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's MoneyWise program, we're continuing our recap of the happenings of Wall Street from last week. Uh, as we kind of were joking at the beginning of the first segment, not much to see this past week on Wall Street, which is um, definitely tongue very deep in cheek. So before we went to break, Jeff was getting into the consumer price index numbers that came out on Thursday, and it came in about two-tenths lighter than what the market anticipated it with a CPI of 7.7%. Now, the month-over-month was up about four-tenths of a percent, but the number was definitely lighter, and this did trigger a massive, what we've discussed on this program, a rip-your-face-off short-covering rally, and they were putting shorts on on Wednesday, uh, Mm -hmm. the day before, and so not only was it covering those shorts, but additional shorts that were put in probably most likely before the the midterm election. Well, you know, we didn't have a show the previous previous couple of weeks and so we had this rally leading up into the election and then because we what we were in mid-october the uh we had this kind of intermediate low on the s&p at like 3700 and then we rallied up to the election and then the election didn't really kind of fizzled it kind of you know the the rally fizzled and all the focus now was on cpi and then that cpi number comes out and Bam! Well, you get, you get this you, and, and this huge rally. These are not unusual. These are very, very common in bear markets. Well, we also haven't had any kind of positive inflation news. I mean, that I can remember in the last several months. Well, I mean, the PC number point. was a little bit better, but I mean, it's like any kind of good news was going to trigger a rally along with short coverings. But I think people just needed a just something. Good to happen, and, and it brought the buyers in. But I do not – I am not in the house, and I heard this a couple of times today, or Friday, rather, about a rotation now all of a sudden back into tech. I'm like, okay, look, this is what happens typically when you when you see – when you have a, a little bit of euphoria, especially with rates, is you see well, a tech yeah. rally, you know? And we, and we focused a lot on how much stocks moved higher on Thursday, but the other thing that was happening is yields moved 
very quickly substantially lower. Uh, this is, you know, move lower and the Fed's still going to be raising rates. interest rates in December? Possibly you know, what's, into what, next what's, year? What, yeah, what's wrong with this picture? I mean, it's just, it, it's just. It could be a short-term bond trade. I mean, it, literally, the traders could be in the fixed-income market also. Exactly. These aren't new longs. There, These yes, aren't new longs. There are traders in the stock market as well as in the bond market. We we are, we are try not to be traders in the stock market, though sometimes the markets are such that we might hold something not very long if we've made a nice profit in it. But we're definitely not traders uh, when it comes to the bond side. And we spent – a lot, we spent a lot of time at the beginning of the year write, writing our bond portfolio for what we thought was going to be the coming uh, multiple tsunami interest rate increases. Tsunami tsunami interest, rate. interest rate increases. Thank you, Kyle. And that's exactly what, what, what has occurred this year and bought things that, that profited when that tsunami hit. Um, we haven't bought any bonds in a number of weeks because yields have been – Yields have been creeping up all the way up to uh, the last Fed meeting and then creeped up a little higher after the Fed meeting and have since trended back down with this big trend down uh, on uh, on Thursday. I just, you know, I just don't feel like that uh, we've seen the peak in yields I, I, for this cycle. I, I just don't feel that way. And it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me to now have a 10-year treasury not yield not that much different than Fed funds. We were looking at a high-yield money market fund that we have – we, we just put in uh, – what did we put in on Friday? Like $50 million into it? Uh, just under $59 million. Yeah, almost $60 million into this high-yield uh, money market fund that's yielding – Three and change, right? Over Yeah, like over 3.5% annualized yield and the 10 years at uh 3811 yeah and we're completely liquid so mm-hmm. you know in in this position traded money market account and so, so is the market saying the fed's going to start cutting rates here in the next uh, 3 or 4 months and the, that that just does it doesn't make it it, it reeks of a trade not you know, not of not a trend well, and, and rates and rates eventually will peak, but it's going to be predicated on where we are in inflation and where the Fed is going to be coming to an end. Because historically, interest rates peak typically 60, possibly 90 days out from the Fed ending their interest rate hikes. Well, I think we're all in the camp, me, worst case scenario, the Fed ends their their rate hikes in the first quarter of next year. Jeff, I know you're in the second quarter of next year. And I think just hearing a lot of analysts talk, they're talking about the market is really going to get back to the blocking and tackling and recovering the second half of 2023 because we have to allow all these interest rate increases to play out. We have to see the net positive effect when it comes to inflation. But when I hear statistics like I heard yesterday about this debt loan forgiveness for students and taking a survey of what these people are going to be <laughs> using, I, I was my mind was blown that these younger people would say that I want to use my money to gamble. I want to use my extra money to go out and, and have a good time and to travel. There was even a high percentage of these recipients of this loan debt forgiveness that were going to use their excess cash 
to buy drugs. This was actually in the survey. There, there's a joke in there. Yeah. I'm not going to go there. No, there's there's not, it's not really a joke at all. It's, it's I understand now, that. Now, I know a federal judge in Texas was able to put a halt to it, so the checks have not gone out yet. But this is just absolutely obscene. And, and if the Biden administration thinks that this debt loan forgiveness is going to help cool monetary inflation, uh, I mean, are you kidding me? Yeah. You're, you're kidding me, right? Just like the Inflation Production Act. Oh, I'm sorry, Reduction Act, as as they call it in the Biden administration. I've got a really good one-liner, but it, the, you're going to have to call me to get that. Yeah. The election's <laughs> over. By the way, guys, one let you know, the election's <laughs> over. The fight never ends, Jeff. The fight <laughs> will never end. But but getting back, but getting back to the but getting back to the interest rate environment. I mean, there's definitely some trading because when you see a 33 basis point move. In one day in the Treasury market, I mean, you know that that's got to be a trade. It's not a bunch of new longs coming in because, as you said, Jeff, the Fed is going to be raising interest rates in December. How high? Right now, 82% chance it's going to be a half of 1%. Now, if we get a even cooler inflation print that's going to be coming out before the meeting in December, then maybe it'll be a quarter of 1%, but they're still going to be raising rates. Well, the, the Fed has said they want to see continuous decreases in, in, in rates. That's of CPI. That's what they want to see. So. That's right. And, and the service side of the basket of goods is still not falling fast enough. I, I read a statistic Friday morning. Month over month, egg costs, egg costs have gone up 43%. Month over month, eggs. And of course, when 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 I read that out loud, my wife confirmed. She's like, "Yeah, a dozen eggs cost almost nine dollars." She's what? like, "It's abs- Yes, it's absolutely Kyle, obscene." Kyle, where are you where are y'all shopping? Well, these are of course organic brown <laughs> eggs. Just, I mean, just Whole Foods? Oh. No, no, no. It's not whole paycheck foods. Central no. Market. I, I don't know exactly where she gets it from, but all I'm saying is, is that some aspects of the basket of goods came down. But on the service side, especially on the travel side, we're hearing from these airline executives that people are still paying the price of these tickets regardless of what that cost is. And then this past week, I heard again, we still have a trillion seven hundred billion of excess savings still in the coffers and the savings accounts of the American consumer. What is excess savings? Basically, it's above and beyond what the long-term average has been, which is around $500 billion, which is where it was pre-pandemic. We've talked about it before on the show. We've talked about this excess savings, where $500 billion is typically right around where most of the cash levels are for the American consumer as a whole. But we're still at a trillion seven hundred billion in excess. So there is still money out there. And when you look at the labor participation rates, when 38% of the working age population is not working and we still have small, mid-sized businesses begging for employees and having to pay them really whatever they want, they're writing their own ticket, this is going to continue to cause inflation to run hotter for longer. Anything else you guys want to add before we go to break? I would I'll just, just say, shut the conversation I down. I was at an that. event, a yeah. CPA event, golf tournament, and it is extremely hard for them to actually, obviously, find hire people. 
find employees. I mean, this is a problem across the country for mid and smaller businesses. So let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So we're continuing to recap the happenings of Wall Street this past week. In the last segment, Jeff, you were talking about, you know, one trade that we made this past week. In fact, on Friday is that uh, we have a higher-yielding position-traded money market account paying over 3.5% annualized yield. And so we moved a very large chunk of our cash position into this because, again – you know, you never uh, want to turn away from an opportunity to, to make some money in your idle cash while you're waiting for clear waters to put some of that money back to work in the stock market and continuing to build our bond portfolios across all of our different asset allocation models. And I would imagine if I went back and looked, this this money market fund was probably yielding a tenth of a percent or less at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've watched it ratchet up steadily and most of this money that's uh this is stock money that we're just we haven't made a decision yet to deploy it so in the meantime we're getting an opportunity to to earn some much higher income than we would in just cash which is not something that we've been able to do for a number of years because for for years cash and this high yield money market fund have basically been about the same we're talking about yeah, you know, the difference between one one hundredth and maybe one tenth of a percent, which is immaterial, uh, but now the differences are are much wider. So that's just a you know, way to pick up some some income while we're waiting. And I want to talk. You know, there was a lot of giddiness. There's always giddiness when you have a day like that, and especially in this environment where, as you'd said, like in the first segment, pe- people are looking for any good news to 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 make make them feel better about, you know, owning risk assets, i.e. stocks. But when you look at the charts for this year, you know, this, this, this bear, these bear market rallies, this is one, we've had one, two, three, four, we've had five so far this year, bear market rallies of at least 10%. Every one of them, and we don't know about this one yet, Mm-hmm. Has all led to lower lows afterwards. Every one of them, I, with, the, I, with the exception of, and there's one of them that actually most all of these had each time they had these big run-ups, the, their highs went at the top were, were were progressively lower, with the exception of one. I know that's getting a little bit deep in the weeds, ladies and gentlemen. But what we're saying right now is, even after Thursday's massive run-up. We're still firmly in this downtrend channel in the bear market. We're still below the 200-day moving average on the S&P. And we basically, with the exception of maybe one trading day in late July, 
we haven't been above the 200-day line going back to March in the S&P 500. Yes, Joe. I, I would love, and I need, I'm going to do some research on this this weekend. I would love to know the last time we had a, a 4 or 5% day in the S&P followed up by a 1% day in the S&P. Usually these rallies, and I'm, I'm just looking at this and it's just, I, I need to do some research on it, but I'd love to know, usually when we have a 4 or 5, a 4% rally or 3% rally in the S&P, usually we have a sell-off. At least it was followed up with a day where we had a pretty solid day in, in, in the S&P 500, which is definitely rough 1%. But I, I'd have to go back and check that because I want to see historically what that means. Maybe is, is that forecasting something in the future? Maybe not, but I don't recall that happening in the last year. So. Well, for any of our technical home gamers, I mean, really 4120 on the S&P 500 is kind of the line of the sand. Now, 41, roughly rounded up 4120 was an intraday high. The last intraday high on the S&P 500 back on September the 12th. So today would be, as this show is airing, it was exactly two months ago. And so we have to get above 41.20, hold it, and move up above it. But that also puts us very close to the 200-day moving average, which on our last rally – we hit the 200-day moving average on the S&P 500 and failed to break above it. So the 200-day moving average of the S&P 500 is kind of that top-line resistance that we have to break through, get above. And possibly we could see a rally over the next, you know, three to four weeks going into the next CPI print. I know we've got a lot of economic news Coming out next week, you know, for us on the equity side, you know, we did a little bit of nibbling this past week before this big run up in the rally uh, because we're making changes and in, in, in design changes to our index base for every single one of our asset allocation models for a new listener of the Money Wise program or longtime listeners, just a reminder, we build every single one of our equity portfolios on top of an index base. And we use that index base to deploy assets quickly into the market to get in there if we need to get in quickly, but we also use it as an, as a ejection seat. If we need to pull chunks of assets out of the equity side or stock side of our portfolios very, very quickly, and we have been using this strategy for many, 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 many years on both getting out and getting in. And so we've been making some adjustments to that index base in preparation of 2023, because as long-term money managers, we have to look out you know, three, four, five, six months out and where we want the portfolio to be. So we started to do that little bit of nibbling this past week prior to the midterms on Monday. We started doing that small nibbling onto the stocks of the portfolio. But when you look at our moderate allocations, we still have a stock allocation of a roughly 33%. So from a stock allocation standpoint, we're still in and around some of the lowest stock allocations we have had in our company's 33-year history, and that's in a in our modern allocation. Yeah, modern and that's allocation. in our moderate. Yeah, that's in our moderate allocation. For our conservatives, obviously, stock exposure is even less. For our aggressive allocations, it's obviously a larger allocation to stocks. <clears throat> but but that's what we did this past week: putting in money in a position traded money market to get more return on our idle cash that eventually will find its way into the stock market once we have a little bit calmer waters. We still are holding roughly 10% cash cash on the sidelines to be deployed at a moment's notice. 
And then we did some little bit of nibbling on the equity side of the portfolio, but still at a historically low asset allocation to stocks because we're not out of the storm. But like you were saying, Joe, earlier in the show, you know, the market is looking for just any positive news. They're looking for any ray of sunshine shining through the forest. And that is what we got on Thursday. But like Jeff said, 7.7% CPI, consumer price index, it is nothing to get crazily excited about. It's not. It's not. It just shows there's more work to be done. And more time to pass. And more time to pass. And it's, it's higher interest rates for longer. Mm hmm. I don't know how we had, there were several folks that were on, uh, folks that have been around, you know, back when dad was around the 1970s, the, the, you don't defeat inflation this high quickly is what history has shown. And so if, if we use history as a guide, then we have to assume at this point that it's going to take not months, but quarters to get inflation down to this fantasy 2% target that the which Fed has, got to which, which, which they, <laughs> which they will change sometime in 2023. All three of us agree. I think we all see eye to eye. They, eye will, they will pivot they on to. that goal. They oh, I, like how, on, I like how you threw that in there. They have to pivot on that goal. They have, they have to pivot on that goal. Because it's, it's not realistic. It's not realistic. It's going to take it's going to take a lot of quarters and a lot of interest rate increases. And by that, by the time all those interest rate increases are done, I don't I don't think the economy is going to be uh, able to sustain that many interest rate increases. And the Fed's not going to put the economy through it. We all agree that they're going to they're going to continue to raise rates, whether it's fifty or seventy five in December. Who knows? But it's going to be something. It's probably going to be fifty. Maybe it's fifty in January, and maybe they step aside and to see and see how things work. Well, and, and it, circle it, the field. I agree. I do think it's kind of funny because you're talking about inflation, and it's a long battle. It sure is not transitory. That's for one thing. That's yeah. I never want to hear that from the Fed, probably for the rest of my life. Is, is transitory. But but, but also, but please, look at how but, but look at but look at how fast inflation ramped up. Child, please. Sorry. Yeah, but look at how fast inflation ramped up. Now, another piece of news that came out this past week is it sounds like China is taking their foot a little bit off of the zero COVID accelerator, particularly when it comes to people coming in from outside the country, and so and so that also injected a little bit of optimism into the market on Friday. And obviously, maybe next week we'll know what happened with Nevada and Arizona. Maybe we'll finally have the results and we'll finally get to the GOP House majority. And then we'll have to wait for the Georgia runoff to see if we get the majority in the Senate. But regardless, it's going to be gridlock in Washington. That's good for the stock market historically. It always has been. It always will be. Gridlock is good, but, but you know what's not good? Chaos. This is true. Chaos is not good. And, chaos and, and is never good. You know, if if there if chaos starts to develop in Washington, because we're still just split exactly down the middle, 
you know, that's not going to be necessarily but, but, great. But Jeff, President Biden said this past week that he's going to unify us all <laughs> in a speech. <laughs> it, yes. it, it only yes, took him Kyle, 20, 21 Bitcoin months. Bitcoin is a great hedge against inflation. I'm oh, we need there. We're going to talk about that in that se- <laughs> yeah. next segment. So let's take our commercial uh, break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to Wise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So we're in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, and I could not let this first hour go by without having a conversation about someone having the worst week ever. Now, for any longtime listener of this program, you know here at Davidson Capital Management, we don't pull punches. We hit you between the eyes. There's definitely some products and things being sold by the legacy distribution system that we absolutely hate, such as non-traded real estate investment trusts, annuities of any shape or form. And we have been a big disliker, hater of cryptocurrency of any shape or form. Now, for some of y'all listening that maybe got into cryptocurrency early and you've made money and said, ah, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Well, I, I do know that something that is fictitiously made up on a computer and the only way it increases in value is you convince somebody else through marketing that it's worth more than what you paid for, that isn't backed by anything tangible, uh, you know, it, it, it just it doesn't pass the smell test. I think Charlie Munger put it best. This stuff is rat poison. Myself, I have now coined it digital snake oil, cryptocurrencies. So this past week, the person having the worst week would be Sam Bankman-Fried, who woke up on Monday morning worth $16 billion. By the close of business on Thursday, he was worth $996 million. And as of Friday, he now is penniless and owes between 10 to $50 billion, with a B, dollars to over 100,000 creditors as his two companies, Alameda and FTX Digital Exchange, file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy on Friday. This guy, I, and, and this this just, it really chaps my hide because the financial entertainment press, I feel, is, is, is partially responsible and complicit in propping this person up, advertising their business. Fortune Magazine, or is either Fortune or Forbes, put this guy's face on the cover of their magazine in August saying, is this... Man, the new Warren Buffett. (laughs) Every interview I saw with this guy and hearing him talk and trying to explain the unexplainable and the fact that he's doing business out of the Bahamas, it it raised so many red flags over my head. And, And really, I'll put it to all of our listeners very simple. 
if a brain surgeon comes up to you and tries to explain how they perform an operation on a brain, would you know if they're telling the truth? No, you wouldn't because you're not a brain surgeon. Well, this is what Sam Bankman-Fried did. Now, I will say he's a smart man, MIT, mathematics and physics. Both of his parents are law professors at Stanford, so he comes from a very high pedigree of education. But when he's sitting down with these other hedge funds, BlackRock, all these big investment bankers on the East Coast and Wall Street, explaining in his digital speak what he is trying to do at his company, they obviously had no idea how to understand the information. And so they had to take him on his word while he's getting propped up by the financial industry as being the savior or the godfather of cryptocurrency and cryptocurrency exchanges. And now he filed for bankruptcy. Well, this cryptocurrency (laughs) is nothing more than a speculative bet. I, I don't know if he's the Elizabeth Holmes of cryptocurrency or not. Well, remember, he bailed we'll, out we'll, several we'll other fraudsters, we'll, whether it's Three we'll, Arrows. We'll see. Whether it was Celsius. Yeah. He came to the rescue. And really what it came down and what blew my mind is he started with a hedge fund, Alameda, back in 2017, where he was doing price arbitrage on cryptocurrencies. And he was pretty successful. But then so, he decides, let me create my own digital currency create this FTX exchange, and what he was doing was taking investors in Alameda to be buying and bailing out all these other cryptocurrencies to his own benefit because if he didn't, it would cause a massive devaluation of the entire crypto market. And so so avoid, again, this is a cautionary tale to all of our listeners. Cryptocurrency is digital snake oil, in my opinion. So just for clarification, Elizabeth Holmes was the the ex CEO of Theranos, which was she was convicted of fraud and will will go to prison and Ther- and Theranos imploded and no longer exists. I don't know if if FTX was a fraud or this this Friedman Alameda. guy is a fraud. I don't know. Um, all I knew is the second I heard these people slinging cryptocurrency. Earlier this year, as a hedge to inflation, everyone was all up in arms about inflation, and they took an opera marketing opportunity to somehow attach uh, inflation hedge equals Bitcoin to increase sales. You, it's just like really, but but I've also been hearing lately that now they're. They're uh, employing the word of God and religion in selling oh, gold. Go. Have y'all heard these new latest commercials? Oh, I haven't. Goodness. I haven't. I, so, I that, so now it's so now you, you're not a Christian unless you hold gold. Apparently, give me a break. I, I, I just got a real question. We're talking, we're talking about currency. Can anybody name one currency that's down sixty percent? For the year, off the time. Are you calling you know. Bitcoin a currency? <laughs> but no, that's I mean, that's, that's, point. Point. that's the first problem with the. You know, that's that's not, that's my question. Do you, yeah. What currency do you know globally? You know that's down over sixty percent. Well, well, here's the thing. High. What if they what sure. if they labeled it a digital widget? 
as opposed to currency. That actually, Joe, you kind of, it wasn't really your point, but it brings up, stirs up a point in my mind because it does have the word currency, cryptocurrency. Because last time I checked, you couldn't use Sam Bankman Freed's FTT at HEB. But that's only what the marketing people put that word on there. It doesn't mean it's really a currency. They just put that word on there. Exactly. So if it was called a digital widget, would a digital widget be trading at $15,000 a share? No. A digital widget, because that's really, again, enough, all If it there's is. enough dumb people to buy it, yes. And that's, and that's the whole key. <laughs> if, if, if you were banking on someone being less informed and less educated to think that what you have bought is worth more, that's what you're actually banking on, is someone's lack of education that these things are just absolute poison for any portfolio. Now, that is our opinion. But when you see stuff like this that happened to FTX and Sam Bankman Freed and 10 to $50 billion of unfunded liabilities and bankruptcy, you have to avoid this like the plague. Well, we're coming up to the top of the hour break, so we're going to take the break, go into the news, and when we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise, guys, we'll be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us here at Davidson Capital Management, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Now, if you missed the first hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past Money Wise shows. And you can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage. So in our second hour of this weekend's program, again, like to use the second hour to go into investor education and the topic for this second hour is really a topic that needs to be on an on a rotation each and every month because it is such a critical topic for investors all across the country to learn, understand, and realize when it comes to the point of them selecting an investment professional to work with and what they need to be looking for and how they can research and find out the background and education levels and licensing levels of the investment professional that they're planning on working with. Now, a topic that we have discussed on past Money Wise programs, and I feel like we've been talking about this for years. I think from the beginning of the show. 
Well, I know that we've talked about this particular subject, again, the differences between a broker, a stockbroker, and a registered investment advisor, but in particular, the the research and analysis that the Securities and Exchange Commission is doing when it comes down to the fiduciary standard. Uh, and later on in this hour, I'm going to go into the definition of the fiduciary standard and what stockbrokers, what laws and directions they have to follow working with their clients and what what laws and rules and regulations that registered investment advisors like us here at Davidson Capital Management have to follow, and in particular revolving around this fiduciary standard, because this has been a topic that has been discussed at length really post-financial crisis. Um, and the Dodd-Frank Act, which took effect in 2010, put in uh, an actual an actual law that goes into the ability of the Securities and Exchange Commission to create a uniform fiduciary standard which has yet to actually take place uh, across the financial service industry and an article that came out of the Wall Street Journal this past week uh, titled SEC uh, head backs fiduciary standards for brokers and advisors Again, goes into Mary Jo White, who's the head of the Securities and Exchange Commission, um, you know, really wanting tighter standards uh, for financial advisors who recommend stocks, bonds, and mutual funds to individual investors. And for any longtime listener to this program, they understand that your traditional stockbroker is on the financial sales side of the financial service industry, where registered investment advisors like us at Davidson Capital Management are on the asset management side of the industry. Well, let me say something right here, Kyle. The word advisor, I think, confuses the man in the street. In the old days, when I was a broker, we were either a broker or a registered representative. Advisors, financial advisors or investment advisors, by definition, we're registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. What has happened is the word registered representative or broker has been dropped by Wall Street, and they have picked up various terms which they really like to use, whether it's a wealth manager or a they like financial to use advisor. financial advisor, but they obviously don't say registered financial advisor because they wouldn't be working for a brokerage firm or registered few. investment advisor. So, so, so you the word advisor confuses the investor in the street. It it, it does, and again, I don't. I mean, I, I would hate to say that this is just strictly marketing, but it really comes down it is to marketing. marketing. It it does come down to marketing, and it's to convey the idea to a potential to a prospective client that the powers and abilities of that investment professional are above and beyond what they actually legally can do or what they normally do do with you know when it comes to working with their clients and you know last month the labor department is planning its own set of rules to tighten standards on financial professionals who advise on retirement account investments such as 401ks and of course and, Barack, president yes, obama, president obama has endorsed these these we haven't had a president get involved and 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 so he came out several months back talking about wanting to have these new standards and and you know really the Department of Labor is going and saying well hey we're putting in these new standards Securities and Exchange Commission why don't you put these standards in as well and Mary Jo White the head of the SEC makes it very clear that you know we're two different 
regulatory agencies and that we have our own processes and procedures that we have to go through in order to put this into place, but that she had, she had stated that she has been intensely studying this fiduciary standard regulations and what exactly the Securities and Exchange Commission is going to do. Now, the fact that she's been intensely studying this for just the last few months, I feel like we've been talking about this for years, so why is it just being intensely studied over just the last couple of months? Well, maybe before we put our listeners totally to sleep using these fiduciary words and whatnot, why not give an example of why this should be something our listeners should be listening to? Well, I'm going to have to get to that example after we come back from the commercial break because the the, the story the no, you didn't check the clock. The 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 real world example I'm going to give, and and it really could apply to some of our a lot of our listeners that are listening right now of what you might run into when it comes to that point in time where you're ready to hop on that horse and ride off into the retirement sunset and you start going out and interviewing investment professionals that you might be planning or or looking to work with. And as we've always advocated on this show, don't get caught behind the eight ball when it comes time to prepare and plan for your retirement as far as the investment professional that you're going to work with. You need to start the interview process six to eight months out, even 12 months out, just so you get all of your ducks in a row because the last thing we would want to see happen, and we've seen this time and time again talking and working with prospective clients coming into Davidson Capital Management, is that they waited to the last minute, they got thrown a sales pitch at them, that sounded so good to be true, too good to be true, but they signed on that dotted line and wound up getting involved in something that they wound up later regretting because they didn't do their proper due diligence uh, and doing the research it, It's re- research that's required before you hire an investment professional. So when we come back from the commercial break, I'll give you an example of going into the differences between suitability and fiduciary standard, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing our investor education, um, and again, I, I know we were talking during a commercial break that some of this subject matter might be seen dry and boring, but this hour is so critical for any investor to listen and to learn from to protect themselves, to protect the retirement nest egg that they have worked 30, 35, 40, 45 years to build to not get taken by potentially unscrupulous investment professionals that are looking to make a very large and quick buck and big commission and to understand the rules and regulations that folks follow in the financial service industry and how they vary so greatly 
between that of your traditional stockbroker versus a registered investment advisor like we are here at Davidson Capital Management. So I wanted to give you a real-world example, and this comes from one of our clients, this real-world example. Um, several years ago, we had met, I mean, several, I mean, we're talking six, seven years ago, met with a prospective client who was going to be retiring and had, or, excuse me, had already retired, had purchased an annuity, very sizable annuity, and the annuity was getting ready to be outside of its surrender penalty period. And they were looking to do something else with it. So they met with us, gave them you know, the, whole, the whole spiel, uh, the whole presentation as we do with any prospective client after we did a, a portfolio review and analysis for this prospective client. And I remember distinctly remembering in the meeting I, I told him, whatever you do, whether you hire us or you hire somebody else, do not buy another annuity. And he said, gotcha, got it, understand. So this prospective client goes, leaves our office, follow up with them, don't hear back from them. About 16 months later, we get a phone call, and it was this prospective client. And he said, I need to come in and talk to you. Okay, comes in. Before I even round my desk, he says, you're probably wondering why I'm here. I'm like, sure, why are you here? He said, well... I should have listened to your advice, and I didn't. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He said, well, look. And he hands me his paperwork, and what he had bought was another annuity, a variable annuity. And I asked him why. You know, give me the background as to what you did. He said, I called two stockbrokers in New York City. I called two stockbrokers in the state of Florida. I called a stockbroker in San Antonio, Texas. And all five of these stockbrokers all recommended an annuity to me. And he said, after talking to all five of these different brokers and different offices and different firms and different states, he thought to himself, well, if all five of these brokers are recommending annuity, then this is the direction that I need to go. This is what I should be buying because these five folks don't know each other from Adam, and they don't even work for the same firms, but that's what they're recommending. And, of course, when I relayed to the prospective client who then became a client that the reason why they were recommending it is because it pays the highest commission on Wall Street and explained to him round about the six-figure commission that was paid to these brokers, I just about saw his jaw hit the floor. Well, he wanted a guaranteed stream of income. That is what he wanted. It was important to him to have a monthly check. So when he went to these brokers and said, I want a guaranteed stream of income that I know it's coming in, well, the brokers basically have two choices, both of which are suitable for him. Choice number one is an annuity. Whichever insurance company that brokerage firm uses, they will select that annuity, that annuity will pay the most generous commission there is for a broker on Wall Street today, as far as we know. The other choice to provide guaranteed income is a government bond. In fact, it's the only investment, not the annuity, that can truly say, say it provides a guaranteed stream of income. The only difference being the income can vary because government bond rates will vary with maturities. 
For the broker, however, the commission on the same portfolio is about 98 99% less than what he would be getting personally in the annuity. That is why five different brokers from five different firms in four different states all had the same example. They were both suitable investments, and the broker only has to do what is suitable. And that is the whole point of this second hour is to relay real-world examples of the difference between suitability and fiduciary. And just to kind of go into that, you know, what is a fiduciary? A fiduciary is someone that manages money for the benefit of, of another called a beneficiary. A fiduciary is bound by law to place the interest of its beneficiary first before the fiduciary's own interest. Now, stockbrokers, also called registered representatives, account executives, financial well, advisors, wealth managers, are not fiduciaries. Even though they have engaged in high-visibility advertising to portray themselves as full-service investment advisors. It's real easy. Ask your stockbroker if he or she holds a Series 7 securities license. If he or she does, then it's, it's probable that they aren't a fiduciary. And you have to understand, a registered investment advisor like we are here at Davidson Capital Management are subject to the Investment Advisor Act of 1940, which makes us a fiduciary. Okay? And it's so, so important. I mean, we cannot stress well, this enough in that example, to understand the difference. In the same example, a choice for us between an annuity and a portfolio of government bonds as a fiduciary, we have to go with the government bonds because that is what is best for the client, not what is suitable, what is best as a fiduciary. And a non-fiduciary stockbroker follows only the suitability standard, which doesn't require a stockbroker to place the interest of their client ahead of their own. Under the non-fiduciary suitability standard, a stockbroker need provide only suitable advice to it, to their clients, even if the stockbroker knows that the advice is not in the client's best interest. A non-fiduciary stockbroker, you know, bottom line, they have a fiduciary duty to their broker-dealer, to who employs them. That is who they have a fiduciary duty to, not their client. And it, I, I can tell you, Dad, when I sit down with prospective clients and I tell them that financial salespeople, stockbrokers, are not required by law to put their interest in front of their own, it blows their mind. But what's, a, what's unfortunate is that individual investors don't understand that there is a difference between what registered investment advisors do, what we do here, versus what a broker does. It was the manager at Bayesian Company that I worked for as a manager that led me to become a registered investment advisor. That you worked as a broker for? Yes, I worked as a broker for them. One day I was analyzing the bond market. I was sitting at my desk looking at this chart, that chart, and he came up to me and said, John, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm trying to figure out what the long bond's doing. And he said, we don't pay you to be an analyst. We pay you to sell securities. We're not in the business of analyzing markets, managing money. We're in the business of selling securities. The light went on in my head, and from that day forward, 
I chose the path of becoming a registered investment advisor. And it all went back to the manager at a brokerage firm and a young broker trying to understand and help his clients. And a registered investment advisor must follow the trust standard, and it's the highest known in law, which requires an RIA, a registered investment advisor, to place the interest of their client ahead of their own to fulfill the critical fiduciary duties of trust and confidence. So, again, that's that trust standard versus the suitability standard. And this is why when you go to the big name brand broker-dealers, I mean, you can list them off. There's commercials all over the place, all over television, radio, the computer for for these firms. You know, you have to understand they're in the job of asset collection, asset harvesting to sell investment products. And it's also important and when we come back from the bottom of the hour break to, to go into a lot of the proprietary relationships that are in place with your traditional broker-dealers and mutual fund families and other investment product providers to understand. And really, I think what also led a lot of investors to, to have received advice during the financial crisis of staying the course and why that advice came so much so from your traditional broker-dealer or stock brokerage-type firms. And so we'll get into that when we come back from the, from the commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing discussing that critical difference between your traditional stockbroker and a registered investment advisor, um, I wanted to talk briefly about the proprietary relationships that brokerage firms have. Now, prior to joining Davidson Capital Management, I spent a few years uh, as a mutual fund wholesaler where... My clients, as a mutual fund wholesaler, were stockbrokers. I sold my company's loaded mutual funds to brokers in the state of Texas because that was part of my territory in the state of Texas. And it's important for investors to understand of these relationships that mutual fund families have with brokerage firms. Um, And every single mutual fund family, you're going to have a mutual fund family that has some great mutual funds, some decent to average mutual funds, and some not-so-good mutual funds. Dogs. Dogs. Poor-performing mutual funds. But a lot of these brokerage offices have very limited shelf space of the mutual fund families that they want really prominently displayed in the office. And sometimes in order to get shelf space, there are marketing fees that are paid and things of that nature. Now again, this was in the late '90s, early 2000s when I did the, you know, when I was a mutual fund wholesaler. Um, it's important to understand that 
a mutual fund wholesaler's job is to gain a relationship with a broker and to educate them about the mutual funds that are being made available by the fund family and sell them on why they need to be selling these funds to the clients. But it's also important for clients to understand that some mutual fund families have revenue sharing agreements with brokerage firms where the brokerage firm collects a portion of the management fee being charged by the mutual fund family for those clients' assets to be in there. And really the point I'm working towards is getting back to the financial crisis. Because when we're meeting with prospective clients after the financial crisis, we always, when we do our portfolio reviews and analysis, I always ask, well, what was the advice and guidance that you were receiving from your investment professional, from your broker during the financial crisis? And 10 out of 10 times, the advice was stay the course. And they were the prospective client would question me, you know, why was the advice stay the course? Why wasn't it like, let's get a little more liquid, let's, let's get some money on the sidelines, let's get some cash on hand? And I really, and again, in, in, in my 17 years of experience, what my mind leads back to is revenue-sharing agreements that brokerage firms have with mutual fund families and other financial product providers that if assets are not in these mutual funds, then there's no revenue to share because there's no management fee being generated by the mutual fund family. So if advice coming from brokers to their clients was let's sell, let's get more liquid, then these brokerage firms could be slicing their own throat and the revenues that they're that, that are being driven that they're being driven off of these mutual fund holdings by their clients at these brokerage firms. So it would have seriously cut into their bottom line if it was let's get out, let's get liquid because now there's no revenue coming from these outside mutual fund families. And it's important for investors to understand. And I can tell you that when we do portfolio reviews and analysis, and particularly there's certain brokerage firms that have affinity, that have a love for very particular mutual fund families. Well, you can basically name a firm, and we will name without even look, without even looking at the portfolio, not even seeing the portfolio, we could bet the potential client you own one of these funds from a particular fund family just because we've been doing this you know in our 26th year of business and we've reviewed quite a few portfolios in those 26 years we see a pattern we see a trend and because of my inside intimate knowledge of the relationships that mutual fund families have with brokerage firms it's no surprise now listeners are probably you know y'all are probably hearing this on the radio thinking well gosh how can brokerage firms do this it's suitable. They're in, it's suitable. It's suitable. It's, it's suitable. It, it's They're suitable. not violating any rules. They're not violating any laws. That is the whole point of this second hour is so you understand. There's a great commercial on right now. I love this commercial because it really sums up what we're talking about. And it's these two gentlemen, and he's giving the guidance to the prospective client, and he hands him this giant grain of salt. <laughs> And he hands it to him, and he says, you know, we're going to be in this fund, this fund, this fund. And he says, oh, by the way, I get paid a higher commission and higher trailing fees on this because of our proprietary relationship, you know, with these with these funds. And he said, well, you know, shouldn't that be illegal? And he's kind of like, 
Yeah, I well, no, no, not really. I mean, he kind of has a look like, well, I guess you got a point, but no, it's not illegal. But I'm going to be making higher higher fees off this proprietary relationship that we have with these fun families. And I love that commercial. It's just started playing, so I'm sure our listeners have seen this commercial. Pay attention to it because that is what we are talking about. Well, you know, there's another commercial that the financial consultants are doing, in which they hired a DJ in Dallas. And they cleaned him up, got rid of his dreadlocks. He's really a nice-looking guy. Well, no, that's talking about financial planners, and I have a whole other bone to pick about financial planners, yes, but, which I'll get to. But within this, he looks the part. They put him in a he nice sounds the o- part. They put him in a nice office, you know, glass, uh, everything you would want. He's got the columns. He's got the suit. He's smooth-talking. Will you, and, and he asked him, would you give me the account? Well, sure we would. And he said, would you like to know what my experience is? And, and I'm a my, DJ. You know, I'm a DJ. And he shows pictures of him, you know, dancing around. So, uh, you know, again, but I think that also comes back to another article, which we're not going to talk about on this weekend show, about just the number of, don't, don't let the number of accolades and awards received by a financial <laughs> professional dazzle you, think, making you think that they have a higher level of expertise or experience and experience experience than they actually do because again it's all marketing um but you know i will i do want to talk about uh financial planners before we go to the next break because this is something we've also talked about on the show and financial planning has has really become a a really booming industry and there are designations, a certified financial planner, which is a very difficult designation to get. You have to go through a lot of education, a lot of test taking. It is not easy to do. Plus, you have to have industry experience to get the CFP designation. And we're not taking away from that because it's a very prestigious designation. It is. But you have to be very, very careful how this potential financial how this financial planner is getting compensated because we have seen situations where financial planners are using this financial planning designation as another marketing tool as a way to sell investment products as a way to generate commissions so you have to ask as the prospective client how are you getting compensated are you fee only? Are you fee based financial planner? Or are you selling investment products where you're earning a commission? And you need to ask those questions. And if they're not giving you a straight answer, that is when you slowly get up from the table and you walk away. You, as a prospective client, have the right to ask a straight, straight up question and get a straight up answer. Ask them, do you have your Series 7? If they have a Series 7, pretty good chance they're compensated on commissions. And that's when with the whole situation with suitability versus the fiduciary standard, if they say, well, I have my 65, which is to be a a registered investment advisor representative, without a Series 7 or a Series 6, then they'd be leaning more on the side of fee only. And, of course, at Davidson Capital Management, we are completely fee only, registered investment advisors, which puts us on the same side of the table as our clients because the more money we make for our clients, the more money we make for ourselves, and vice versa. We are not compensated based on commission, and being a registered investment advisor means that we are fiduciaries. We have to follow the trust standard required by law to put our client's interest in front of our own. But 
you have to understand these differences when you sit down with a financial professional to understand who you're potentially getting involved in and don't let a lot of letters after their name on the card dazzle you into thinking that they have a level of expertise and knowledge that they may or may not have. You have to vet them out yourself. You have to dig deeper. As I have said, going back to 2005 on this radio show, and you know what we've also talked about on the show is the way that you can look up your investment professional that you're thinking of working with or who you're or who you are currently working with simply by going to Google, typing in the Google search broker check, and that will take you to the FINRA website. And FINRA is the regulatory body overseeing the really the financial sales arm of the financial service industry. You type in your broker's name and it will go to their report. Now, the one thing to keep in mind, and I've seen this, is that we've seen brokers starting to use middle names or different first names to try to get around potential bad reports. I've noticed this, that they make these name changes so you can't track them down as easily, but you still have that tool available as a prospective client to go in and do research on that investment professional to find out if they have any regulatory issues, any customer complaints, what those complaints are involved, to see if they have any personal bankruptcy or personal financial issues, or if they've had any criminal misdemeanor or felony charges in their lifetime. So utilize the tools that are available. Well, we've got to take our last commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So before we went to commercial break, again, spending the second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program talking about, again, the critical differences between a stockbroker and a registered investment advisor, and, and, and also at the beginning of the hour talking about how the SEC is still in the process of studying to find out whether they're going to hold traditional stockbrokers to the same fiduciary standard as we are held to as a registered investment advisor here at Davidson Capital Management. And I have a feeling this is going to be an ongoing saga that's never going to reach a conclusion um, because, again, I think that this would put a serious uh, dampening on revenues at traditional broker-dealer firms across this country. So I'm definitely not holding my breath. The fact that this that this provision or, or the discussion of adding this provision has been around since the Dodd-Frank Act of 2010, and we're now in 2015, and the head of the SEC, Mary Jo White, has only been intensely studying it for the last few months, I'm not holding my breath no, that anything is going to get done. Going to so what you have to do as an investor, you have to arm yourself with knowledge. That's one reason why we have the Money Wise program and why we're in our 10th year of doing it. But you have to utilize the tools that are available to you. You have to be an educated consumer. And before you sign on that line is dotted, you have to utilize 
all the the research capabilities that are available on the internet. And as we went to the last commercial break, talking about utilizing the FINRA website, which is the regulatory body of broker dealers of stockbrokers, and doing what's called a broker check by Googling broker check takes you right to the website. You type in your broker's name and you pull up their permanent record. I always jokingly <laughs> say, you know, in high the school, principal. yeah, the principal. And, in high office. school, you've got your permanent record. Well, in the financial service industry, whether you're a registered investment advisor like we are, or if you're a or if you're a stockbroker, we all have a permanent record called our U4. And it tracks you throughout your entire career. So if you've had run-ins with client complaints, customer complaints, and what those complaints are, to see that if you've actually gotten sued by a former client and actually had to pay restitution, or if the brokerage firm or firm you worked for had to pay restitution. It talks about if you've had any kind of bankruptcies or personal financial uh, issues that is also reported in the U4 on broker check, or if you've had any misdemeanor or felony charges. And, I mean, I know for a fact, just from doing my own research, that we have an insurance salesman here in town that avoided a potential 10 years in prison on a drug felony charge <laughs> because of a legal search and seizure. I found this on broker check. I found this on broker check. I found a gentleman here in town, a prospective client, was getting ready to hand over over a million dollars of his hard work, his life savings, and this financial professional had filed bankruptcy three separate times. Now, I understand people run into financial difficulties. You know, I'm not making light of that. But if you've run into a situation where you've had to file bankruptcy multiple times and you can't keep your own financial house in order... I, as a prospective client, I would be a little nervous turning over my life savings to someone who's a financial professional who can't keep their own financial house in order. There's just no reason for people to do this when this is available to them. That's right. And, and, and again, you're going to go and, and look up financial professionals that have a very clean record, but it's also going to show you what licensing they have going back to this, that if they have a Series 7, that their compensation can come in the form of commissions. So again, knowing that they're on the financial sales side of the business, um, you know, for us at Davidson Capital Management, having our Series 65 as a registered representative of a registered investment advisory firm, we follow the fiduciary standard that we have to follow as an RIA. I haven't seen numbers. I know once upon a time, I think we quoted there's 15,000 of us and there's over 300,000 of them. Closer to 400,000. Cool. I mean, Registered investment advisors is a very small minority in the financial service industry. So you're more often than not going to run into a traditional stockbroker than you are a registered investment advisor. Now, I, I want to just kind of give this blanket disclosure. You know, we're not using this hour to beat up on brokers. There are a lot of good, hardworking brokers. In fact, one of my friends is a broker that, that are, do right by their client, that do a good job. But you have to understand as an investor what type of an investor you are. If you're the type of an investor that likes to call the shots of what's bought and what's sold in your portfolio and when that occurs, you're best suited to work with a stockbroker. 
Though that's really what they're there for. They you can ask them questions. They can give you some advice and guidance. You can bounce investment ideas off of them. They can give you their personal opinion, and they can process the trades for you. If you're the type of investor that doesn't want to have that control, that wants to turn over the decision-making on a day-to-day basis to the investment professional, then you're best suited to work with a registered investment advisor like a Davidson Capital Management. And you have to understand the brokerage industry over the last 15-plus years, because of the pressure they've been feeling from registered investment advisory firms like us, have developed programs to give you that active asset management from either themselves at the brokerage firm or an outside money management firm that they partner with. But you have to understand that your broker is not the person that is making those day-to-day decisions. Your broker is nothing more than the middleman of that transaction. They're getting paid a fee to steer your money to an outside asset manager or to the home office to an asset management group that you will have no relationship with, they won't know you from Adam, and you're paying an extra layer of fees on top to have your broker being nothing more than a mouthpiece in this transaction, where instead of working directly with a registered investment advisor like a Davidson Capital Management, you eliminate that extra layer of fees. You go directly to the source and you have that personal relationship with that investment professional who's making those day-to-day decisions with your assets, you can look at them in the white of their eyes when you're working directly with a registered investment advisor. So you have to utilize the tools that are available to you. You have to understand those critical differences between a broker and a registered investment advisor and the differences between what is suitable, what brokers follow, and what registered investment advisors follow as a fiduciary and following that fiduciary standard. And if any of our listeners want more education, do not hesitate to pick up the phone and give us a call at Davidson Capital Management at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And with that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. For my father, John, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.